Narrator, read by M. J. Frank. Act Two of the Ghost Sonata by August Strindberg, translated by Edwin Bjorkman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Act Two. In the Round Room. An oven of white glazed bricks occupies the center of the background. The mantelpiece is covered by a large mirror. An ornamental clock and candelabra stand on the mantel shelf. At the right of the mantelpiece is a door leading into a hallway, back of which may be seen a room papered in green, with mahogany furniture. The colonel is seated at a writing desk, so that only his back is visible to the public. The statue stands at the left, surrounded by palms and with draperies arranged so that it can be hidden entirely. A door at the left of the mantelpiece opens on the hyacinth room, where the young lady is seen reading a book. Bengtsson, the valet, enters from the hallway, dressed in livery. He is followed by Johansson, in evening dress with white tie. Now you'll have to do the waiting, Johansson, while I take the overclothes. Do you know how to do it? Although I am pushing a war chariot in the daytime, as you know, I wait in private houses at night, and I have always dreamt of getting into this place. Queer sort of people, hm? Yes, a little out of the ordinary, one might say. Is it a musicale, or uh, what is it? Oh, the usual spook supper, as we call it. They drink tea and don't say a word, or else the colonel does all the talking. And then they munch their biscuits all at the same time, so that it sounds like the gnawing of a lot of rats in the attic. Why do you call it a spook supper? Well, because they look like spooks, and they have kept this up for twenty years. Always the same people saying the same things or keeping silent entirely lest they be put to shame is there not a lady in the house too yes but she is a little cracked she sits all the time in a closet because her eyes can't bear the light he points at a papered door oh she is in there now in there you say i told you they were a little out of the ordinary how does she look? Well, like a mummy. Would you care to look at her? He opens the papered door. Well, there she is now. Mercy! Why does he open the door? Haven't I told him to keep it closed? Ta-ta-ta-ta! Polly must be nice now. Then she'll get something good. Pretty Polly. Pretty Polly? Are you there, Jacob? She thinks herself a parrot. And maybe she's right. Whistle for us, Polly. Much I have seen, but never the like of it. Well, you see, a house gets moldy when it grows old. And when people are too much together, tormenting each other all the time, they lose their reason. The lady of this house... Shut up, Polly. 
That mummy has been living here 40 years with the same husband, the same furniture, the same relatives, the same friends. He closes the papered door. And the happenings this house has witnessed? Well, it's beyond me. Look at that statue. That's the self-same lady in her youth. Good Lord! Can that be the mummy? Yes, it's enough to make you weep. And somehow, carried away by her own imagination, perhaps, she has developed some of the traits of the talkative parrot. Well, she can't stand cripples or sick people, for instance. She can't bear the sight of her own daughter because she is sick. Is the young lady sick? Don't you know that? No. And the colonel, uh, uh, who is he? That remains to be seen. It's horrible to think that. Uh, Looking at the statue. How old is she now? Nobody knows. But at thirty-five she is said to have looked like nineteen. And that's the age she gave to the colonel. In this house. Do you know what that Japanese screen by the couch is used for? They call it the death screen and it is placed in front of the bed when somebody is dying, just as they do in hospitals. This must be an awful house, and the student was longing for it as for paradise. What student? Oh, oh, I know. The young chap who is coming here tonight. Uh, the colonel and the young lady met him at the opera, and took a great fancy to him at once. Huh. But now it's my turn to ask questions. Who's your master? The man in the invalid's chair. Well, well, is he coming here too? He has not been invited. He'll come without invitation, if necessary. Old Hummel appears in the hallway, dressed in frock coat and high hat. He uses crutches, but moves without a noise, so that he is able to listen to the two servants. Well, he's a sly old guy, isn't he? Yes, he's a good one. He looks like the very devil. He's a regular wizard, I think, because he can pass through locked doors. Hummel comes forward and pinches the ear of Johansen. Look out, you scoundrel. To Bengtsen. Tell the colonel I'm here. Oh, we expect company. I know, but my visit is as good as expected, too, although not exactly desired, perhaps. I see. Uh, what's the name? Uh, Mr. Hummel? That's right. Bengtsen crosses the hallway to the green room, the door of which he closes behind him. Vanish. Johansen hesitates. Vanish, I say. Johansen disappears through the hallway. Looking around and finally stopping in front of the statue, evidently much surprised amelia it is she she he takes another turn about the room picking up various objects to look at them then he stops in front of the mirror to arrange his wig finally he returns to the statue in the closet Ready, Polly? what was that is there a parrot in the room i don't see it are you there jacob the place is haunted jacob now I am scared. So that's the kind of secrets they have been keeping in this house. He stops in front of a picture with his back turned to the closet. And that's he. He comes out of the closet and pulls the wig of Hummel 
is that cur good lord in heaven who are you is that you jacob yes my name is jacob and my name is amelia oh no 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 merciful heavens how i look that's right and have looked like that pointing to the statue life is a pleasant thing is it not i live mostly in the closet both in order to see nothing and not to be seen but jacob what do you want here my child our child there she sits where there in the hyacinth room looking at the young lady yes that is she and what does her father say i mean the colonel your husband once when i was angry with him i told him everything and he didn't believe me all he said was that's what all women say when they wish to kill their husbands it is a dreadful crime nevertheless his whole life has been turned into a lie his family tree too sometimes i take a look in the peerage and then i say to myself here she is going about with a false birth certificate just like any runaway servant girl and for such things people are sent to the reformatory well it's quite common i think i recall a certain incorrectness in regard to the date of your own birth it was my mother who started that i was not to blame for it and it was you after all who had the greater share in our guilt no what wrong we did was provoked by your husband when he took my fiance away from me i was born a man who cannot forgive until he has punished to punish has always seemed an imperative duty to me and so it seems still what are you looking for in this house what do you want how did you get in does it concern my daughter if you touch her you must die i mean well by her and you have to spare her father no then you must die in this very room back of that screen perhaps but i can't let go when i have got my teeth in a thing you wish her to marry the student why he is nothing and has nothing he will be rich thanks to me have you been invited here for to-night no but i intend to get an invitation for your spook supper do you know who will be here not quite the baron who lives above us and whose father-in-law was buried this afternoon the man who is getting a divorce to marry the daughter of the janitress the man who used to be your lover another guest will be your former fiance who was seduced by my husband very select company if the lord would let us die oh that we might only die but why do you continue to associate crime and guilt and secrets bind us together don't you know our ties have snapped so that we have slipped apart innumerable times but we are always drawn together again i think the colonel is coming i'll go into adele then consider what you do jacob spare him pause then she goes out the colonel enters haughty and reserved won't you be seated please hummel seats himself with great deliberation you wrote this letter i did your name is hummel it is 
As I learn that you have bought up all my unpaid and overdue notes, I conclude that I am at your mercy. What do you want? Payment, in one way or another. In what way? A very simple one. Let us not talk of the money. All you have to do is admit me as a guest. If a little thing like that will satisfy you. I thank you. Anything more? Discharge Benson. Why should I do so? My devoted servant, who has been with me a lifetime, and who has the medal for long and faithful service, why should I discharge him? Those wonderful merits exist only in your imagination. He is not the man he seems to be. Who is? True, but Benson must go. Do you mean to order my household? I do, as everything visible here belongs to me. Furniture, draperies, dinnerwares, linens, and other things. What other things? Everything. All that is to be seen is mine. I own it. Granted. But for all that, my coat of arms and my unspotted name belong to myself. No, not even that much. You are not a nobleman. Take care. Hummel, producing a document. If you'll read this extract from the armorial, you will see that the family whose name you are using has been extinct for a century. The Colonel, reading the document. I have heard rumors to that effect, but the name was my father's before it was mine. Reading again. That's right. Yes, you're right. I'm not a nobleman, not even that. Then I may as well take off my signet ring. Oh, I remember now. It belongs to you, if you please. Accepting the ring and putting it into his pocket. We had better continue. You are no colonel either. Am I not? No. You have simply held the title of colonel in the American Volunteer Service by special appointment. After the war in Cuba and the reorganization of the army, all titles of that kind were abolished. Is that true? Do you wish to see for yourself? With a gesture toward his pocket. No, it won't be necessary. Who are you, anyhow? And with what right are you stripping me naked in this fashion? You'll see by and by. As to stripping you naked, do you know who you are in reality? How dare you? Take off that wig and have a look at yourself in the mirror. Take out that set of false teeth and shave off your mustache too. Let Benson remove the iron stays. And perhaps a certain XYZ, a lackey, may begin to recognize himself. The man who used to visit the maid's chamber in a certain house for a bite of something good. The colonel makes a movement toward a table on which stands a bell, but is checked by Hummel. Don't touch that bell. And don't call Benson. If you do, I'll have him arrested. Now the guests are beginning to arrive. Keep your composure and let us continue to play our old parts for a while. Who are you? Your eyes and your voice remind me of somebody. Don't try to find out. Keep silent and obey. The student enters and bows to the colonel. Colonel! I bid you welcome to my house, young man. Your splendid behavior in connection with the great disaster has brought your name to everybody's lips, and I count it an honor to receive you here. Being a man of humble birth, Colonel, and considering your name and position... May I introduce Mr. Arkenholtz, Mr. Hummel. The ladies are in there, Mr. Arkenholtz, if you please. I have a few more things to talk over with Mr. Hummel. 
Guided by the colonel, the student goes into the hyacinth room, where he remains visible, standing beside the young lady, and talking very timidly to her. A splendid young chap, very musical, sings and writes poetry. If he were only a nobleman, if, if he belonged to our class, I don't think I should object. To what? Oh, my daughter. Your daughter, you say? But apropos of that, why is she always sitting in that room? She has to spend all her time in the hyacinth room when she's not out. That is a peculiarity of hers. Here comes Miss Betty von Holsenkron, a charming woman, a secular canoness, with just enough money of her own to suit her birth and position. My fiancé! The fiancé enters. She is white-haired, and her looks indicate a slightly unbalanced mind. Miss von Holstenkron, Mr. Humut. The fiancé curtsies in old-fashioned manner and takes a seat. The dandy enters and seats himself. He is in mourning and has a very mysterious look. Baron Skansenkoria. Hummel, aside, without rising. That's the jewelry thief, I think. To the colonel. If you bring in the mummy, our gathering will be complete. Polly? Going to the door of the hyacinth room. The mummy enters. How about the young people? No, not the young people. They must be spared. The company is seated in a circle, no one saying a word for a while. Shall we order tea now? What's the use? No one cares for tea. I can't see the need of pretending. Shall we make conversation? Talk of the weather which we all know about. Ask one another's state of health, which we know just as well. I prefer silence. Then thoughts become audible, and we can see the past. Silence can hide nothing, but words can. I read the other day that the differentiation of languages had its origin in the desire among savage peoples to keep their tribal secrets hidden from outsiders. This means that every language is a code, and he who finds the universal key can understand every language in the world, which does not prevent the secret from becoming revealed without any key at times, and especially when the fact of paternity is to be proved. But, of course, legal proof is a different matter. Two false witnesses suffice to prove anything on which they agree, but you don't bring any witness along on the kind of expedition I have in mind. Nature herself has planted in man a sense of modesty which tends to hide that which should be hidden. But we slip into situations unawares, and now and then a favorable chance will reveal the most cherished secret, stripping the impostor of his mask and exposing the villain. Long pause during which everybody is subject to silent scrutiny by all the rest. How silent everybody is. If, for instance, in this respectable house, this attractive home, where beauty and erudition and wealth have joined hands. All of us sitting here now, we know who we are, don't we? I don't need to tell, and all of you know me, although you pretend ignorance. In the next room is my daughter, mine, and you know perfectly well. She has lost the desire to live without knowing why. The fact is that she has been pining away in this air charged with crime and deceit and falsehood of every kind. That is the reason why I have looked for a friend in whose company she may enjoy the light and heat radiated by noble deeds. 
here is my mission in this house to tear up the weeds to expose the crimes to settle all accounts so that those young people may start life with a clean slate in a home that is my gift to them do you hear that clock ticking like the death watch hidden in a wall can you hear what it says it's time it's time when it strikes in a few seconds your time will be up and then you can go but not before you may notice too that the clock shakes its fist at you before it strikes listen there it is better beware it says and i can strike too he wraps the top of the table with one of his crutches do you hear for a while everybody remains silent the mummy goes up to the clock and stops it then she speaks in a normal and dignified tone but i can stop time in its course i can wipe out the past and undo what is done bribes won't do that nor will threats but suffering and repentance will she goes to hummel we are miserable human creatures and we know it we have erred and we have sinned we like everybody else we are not what we seem but at bottom we are better than ourselves because we disapprove of our own misdeeds and when you jacob hummel with your assumed name propose to sit in judgment on us you merely prove yourself worse than all the rest you are not the one you seem to be no more than we you are a thief of human souls you stole mine once upon a time by means of false promises you killed the consul whom they buried this afternoon strangling him with debts you are now trying to steal the soul of the student with the help of an imaginary claim against his father who never owed you a farthing having vainly tried to rise and say something hummel sinks back into his chair as the mummy continues her speech he seems to shrink and lose volume more and more there is one dark spot in your life concerning which i am not certain but i have my suspicions i believe bankson can throw light on it she rings the table bell no not bankson not him so he does know she rings again the milkmaid appears in the hallway but is only seen by hummel who shrinks back in horror then bankson enters and the milkmaid disappears do you know this man bankson oh yes i know him and he knows me life has its ups and downs as you know i have been in his service and he has been in mine for two years he came regularly to our kitchen to be fed by our cook because he had to be at work at a certain hour she made the dinner far ahead of time and we had to be satisfied with the warmed-up leavings of that beast and he drank the soup stock so that we got nothing but water like a vampire he sucked the house of all nourishment until we became reduced to mere skeletons and he nearly got us into jail when we dared to call the cook a thief later i met that man in hamburg where he had another name 
Then he was a moneylender, a regular leech. While there, he was accused of having lured a young girl out on the ice in order to drown her, because she had seen him commit a crime, and he was afraid of being exposed. The mummy, making a pass with her hand over the face of Hummel, as if removing a mask. That's you. And now give up the notes and the will. Johansen appears in the hallway and watches the scene with great interest knowing that his slavery will now come to an end. Hummel produces a bundle of papers and throws them on the table. Polly, are you there, Jacob? Stroking the back of Hummel. Nurse, Jacob, pretty Polly, Ker. May the clock strike. The clock may strike. Cuckoo, cuckoo, cuckoo. Now the clock has struck. Opening the closet door. Rise and enter the closet, where I have spent twenty years bewailing our evil deed. There you will find a rope that may represent the one with which you strangled the consul, as well as the one with which you meant to strangle your benefactor. Go. Hummel enters the closet. The mummy closes the door after him. Put up the screen, Bankson. The death screen. Bengtsson places the screen in front of the door. It is finished. God have mercy on his soul. Amen. 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 Long silence. Then the young lady appears in the hyacinth room with the student. She seats herself at a harp and begins a prelude, which changes into an accompaniment to the following recitative. Seeing the sun, it seemed to my fancy that I beheld the spirit that's hidden. Man must forever reap what he planted. Happy is he who has done no evil. Wrong that was wrought in moments of anger never by added wrong can be righted. Kindness shown to the man whose sorrow sprang from your deed will serve you better. Fear and guilt have their home together. Happy indeed is the guiltless man. Curtain End of Act Two